detective? Thrill me. Scream! Scream for your lives! You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Oh, I know this creature of yours. When the dragon gets this old, it knows nothing but pain. Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. Welcome to Now Care More, gentlemen. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. So, Celestial Event. No words. You really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't you? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy podcast, the crossroads where science fiction, fantasy, and horror meet. I'm your host, Nathan Barnabal, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Bill Van Bagel. Bill, how are you today? I'm doing really, really well. And for anybody listening, I'm in Canada. I'm in Ontario. We're under a lockdown at the present moment. Uh, The only thing you can do is go to work if your work is still open and get essentials. No other stores will be open unless it's an essential. Uh, But you find ways to entertain yourselves. And luckily, I have my March break, which was converted to April break. And so I'll have this week to watch movies of sci-fi, horror, fantasy. So I'll have lots to report over the next couple of weeks. Nice. And we're finally kind of coming right. I'm here in Baltimore, Maryland in, in the U.S., and we're coming out of lockdown a bit. Things are starting to feel slightly normal again. We're still trying to be cautious. We had a couple, uh, you know, here on the on, on our home front, we in personal home front, we had a couple of uh, scares, but nothing, uh, I'd say scares. We had a couple of potential you know, someone's has COVID. We need to make sure that we're, you know, get everyone checked out, tested, but we're getting the vaccines and things like that on, on this end. So things are, you know, this weekend had a close to feel of normalcy, but we did just get a brand new television. So we are still in watching movies and, and, uh, mode as well. So I was going to say, and Nathan sent me a picture of it and it would be too big for my bloody wall. I'll tell you that it's much. Too big for my bloody walls. One of those deals where I kind of like managed to talk my wife into doing it before. And it's it's a sixty five, so it's not you know it's big. But I know people who have even bigger televisions. That uh, we we had the same television for the past ten years, which you know it's it's been perfectly fine. And it was like a forty five inch, I think. But we kind of wanted to do the whole four uh, K, you know, HD thing. So we've done that. And I have to admit, I turned on today for the kids. Uh, well, they they they're on their fourth watching of Godzilla versus Kong, and they that looked spectacular in 4K. And then they on Amazon they have ET in 4K, and that honestly, so far is the best looking one that I've seen, just in terms of because I don't have the 4K player yet. Uh, we're probably going to get one soon, and it looked astonishing the opening scene when he when the ship comes down and they're foraging in the forest there in the in the like uh, government pulls up and rolls up into the forest there. That scene looks amazing. That looks like reach out and touch it. Amazing. You know, um, almost That's, like that would be, that, that would, that would be awesome for me to see. Cause honestly, I don't think I've seen it since the theaters in 1983. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, we've seen it several times. We've taken the kids to see it. Uh, I think we saw it at the the symphony orchestra, did a musical company with it. They played it over the summer um, uh, at the at the drive-in. And so we've seen it a couple of times now. But uh, it's on the Amazon right now. I think if... Uh, with Prime, at least here in the in the U.S., they have it for Prime, and they also have the 4K version was in Prime as well. So you can turn it on there. Um, the one I really wanted to turn on in, in 4K, of course, was Jaws. <laughs> well, that's one of the things Nathan and I were talking before we started, that pretty soon we'll be getting the Facebook page, group page up. And, that, and E.T. would be a great discussion point for all the listeners to talk about their first experiences, or maybe, you know, some kind of watch party or something, because that would be a heck of a thing to watch together. Yeah, yeah. E.T. is an interesting history. I'll, I'll try to repost links to one of the earliest episodes we did when Phantom Galaxy would, and this was before your time, Bill, I guess, uh, B.C. Uh, or B.B. before Bill. Uh, <laughs> or B.V. before Van Vagel. And so we had... Um, we did an episode that was like the fantastic worlds of Spielberg. And we talked a lot about ET and also about the origins of how ET started as a couple different scripts. One of them being a horror script that kind of became uh gremlins kind of, you know, it kind of sp- it broke in half. Part of it became gremlins and part of it became ET. And uh, yeah, ET is a movie that like, what was weird about ET when it came out was it came out in 82. My family didn't go to the movies a lot. My first movie at the theater was return of the Jedi probably a year later, but Back then, these movies would just play in the time of v- even in VHS. That movie didn't release on VHS till 1988. I was in the fourth grade when that movie released, and I had never seen it. So for years, I'd only seen clips and seen all the merchandise and stuff like that. So it built this kind of mystique in my brain. So when I saw it in like the fourth grade, after having seen Aliens and Predator and all that other stuff, I was like, eh. <laughs> But, yeah. but it's grown on me over time. It is, it, you know, D. Wallace did a good job, but you know, it, it kind of grows on you. And to be quite frank, anybody in the age group of between forty and fifty, it's got the nostalgia factor. It's got the CND. But yeah. I mean, being a Spielberg production, it had the budget. It, it gives you the viewer the value of watching it. Like it's not, you know, it's not the Ice Pirates. You know, like it, it's got some right. some oomph behind it. But anyway, this episode, as you could tell, is kind of a, a little less structured than some of our others, uh, and maybe more structured in some ways, because tonight we're going to kind of go back to the review episode, I almost like the bi-weekly reviews, we're going to start doing this. Uh, every two weeks, Bill and I are going to try to get an episode out where we're reviewing uh, not just new things, but things we're seeing on streaming, and it'll probably eventually be things we're reading to kind of whatever, kind of a throw at the wall, see what sticks, a way to kind of have a conversation with everybody because we do so many theme episodes and so many episodes with, with other uh, podcasts, which we love. But Bill and I realized that in a sense, it's like, you know, we, I don't know how much we've talked to each other. <laughs> I mean, we talk to each other every day, just about, but in terms of on the podcast and, and really uh, in this way, updating people on what's going on and how things are going. Um, we've had a great okay. year. Podcast is doing awesome. So. Yeah, and we really, really appreciate the listeners. If you want to tell your friends about it, that's great. But, I mean, things that we watch, things that we've read, li- music we've listened to, anything that's come across YouTube. I mean, we don't get the chance to chew the fat about that other than in text. So this is as much uh, revelationary to each of, each of us as it is to you guys. <laughs> Very true, yeah. I had no idea we were talking about E.T., but we just did. So uh, yeah, <laughs> the one thing exactly. I wanted to... Uh, also say very quickly, and we'll, I'm going to give a couple uh, before, because if I don't do it now, I'll forget. 
a couple shout outs to things that are going on with the podcast. As Bill said, we do have going to try to get the Facebook group up here very soon and just trying to make sure everything's in place for that. Same way with having an actual web page. We have a page now. It's phantomgalaxy at podbean.com. Going to try to get something that's a little bit more just specifically for the, the podcast where we will be able to put up articles if we want and things like that and have it a little bit more fine-tuned and there'll be message boards there where you can leave in for you can leave comments and stuff like that uh in addition we do we've been branching out we've been testing some different um kind of side episodes on phantom galaxy one of those is the illustrated fan that i've been doing with dave becker and the first episode bill was actually with us when we did it and we were talking um it kind of was an open an open episode to discuss this the illustrated fan is kind of dedicated solely to animation and all kinds of different forms of animation and we just released that episode last week that was dedicated to the films of um uh, makoto shinke who has done some movies like uh we did we talked weathering with you and your name so anime films and we talked the wolf house and a couple of other movies that are relatively the tom and jerry film things like that and we have a night, an episode coming up for the month of April that's going to talk about uh, animated war films. So that'll be interesting. But I also wanted to mention that we've got an episode. And I'm going to kind of turn it over to Bill. We finally recorded our first episode of Bill's musical-themed uh, show that's going to start. Musicals not being musicals like uh, movies where people sing in them. But I actually- love a parade! <laughs> <laughs> we were just watching Fiddler on the Roof. Just re- we were watching a few clips of that in 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 a 4K today. So, um, but I wanted to turn it over to Bill to talk about a music theme. This may be a better way to say it. Our music theme show that's going to exist under the Phantom Galaxy umbrella. Yeah, very much like the Illustrated Fan pops up every couple months. We're going to do one called Strange Frequencies. And Strange Frequencies is one in which we kind of go in depth on a musical album or we might get into like a musical artist that basically tells a story. Sometimes it's horror or sci-fi fantasy related, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. As long as it's an interesting story, there's something interesting about the musicianship or the theme or something that's culturally iconic that, you know, you just don't want to go without talking about. And we try to pair it up with a musical type movie, but that doesn't mean we're going to be doing Fiddler on the Roof or This is Spinal Tap. It could be something that has a genre feel, but also includes music and is incorporated in the theme or in the soundtrack or what have you. So I'm very proud of it. Just before we started it up, Nathan goes, Bill, you're taking the reins. I'm sitting back and I'm just going to be the programmer behind the microphone. So Nathan does use his knowledge of music, but we also, this episode, we had our good friend Dave Roy, Dave Waugh, to be Canadian. And we discussed. (laughs) You can be as Canadian as you want. As Canadian as I want, because Dave is also Canadian. And uh, we talk about Rush's 2112. And I was sitting at work the other day realizing we could do an entire episode on about five different Rush albums. That's kind of the way they do it. I'm not saying we're going to, but we could. But again, we're going to have the Facebook page going within the next couple of weeks. And we would love your suggestions. It could be an album, could be a song, could be uh, an artist who tells a good story, could be genre related, could just be an interesting historical song, or just a song that you know engrosses you because of the lyrics. And if you can think of maybe a movie to pair it with, I think what we'll probably do is every other one will be our choice for a movie and then maybe a listener or a fan choice. We're completely open to that. As long as we have access to it, we'll head dive 
deep head first into it. So guys, girls, ladies, gentlemen, if you got a musical talent or you like to hear music, we're going to cover you too. And we might even be covering a movie today that has a musical element to it. And I'll just kind of leave it at that. Yeah. And you know, we've, um, I've even, even got a little trailer. We're trying to be snazz things up here a little bit. And, and, you know, so here we've got a trailer for strange frequencies before that. I want to say, Bill, I actually already have a request from my son. He specifically, I was explaining to him the pot. He asked me like, what, what'd you get? What'd you record dad after we recorded this, the, the episode? And, um, and he, because he, he said, it sounded like you guys are having a lot of fun. And it, it was a lot of fun to record. You guys are in for a treat with this episode, particularly once Bill and Dave start going. Uh, it's really awesome. But he's, I told him and I explained to him, and he's like, these are the Canadian guys. And I said, yes. And he said, well, you need to tell them they have to do the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Oh, Gordy. Oh, I could do Gordy any time of the week. Break the Edmund Fitzgerald. We could do Carefree Highway. We could oh, yeah. uh, do a whole the, the the Canadian Railroad trilogy. Oh, we could be here Black Day in July. Oh my God! About the American uh, Civil Civil War Civil Rights. Oh my gosh! Yeah, uh, yeah. Tell your son, good on him. He's fascinated by that. We li- we were listening to a, another podcast as a Monsters Among Us that does like kind of the paranormal stuff, and they were. I don't know exactly how they got around to it, but they got around to talking about the Edmund Fitzgerald and and a little bit of Gordy song was there, and they were talking about the specifics of you know the the visits that they've had down to the Edmund Fitzgerald since it's sunk and things like that. So yeah, I think that'd be fascinating, and uh, be, that'd certainly... be a great one. In, in my in my personal opinion, Gordon Lightfoot is among the top three or four just pure storytellers, and he can weave a story. Not always one that's necessarily children appropriate. No, but that's true. But he's got some good songs. But of course, we played the wedding good. song at our wedding, you know. So that's oh, absolutely perfect. One. Yeah, if you listen to a few of them, there's some adult themes to them. But he 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 writes from the heart. And you don't, yeah, you don't always pick up it. He's got it so melodic that you're like, wait, what? But the <laughs> the record of Edmund Fitzgerald's a classic. Mm-hmm. We we yeah. listened to it back to back with Billy Joel's Down Easter Alexa because they kind of have that same sort of seafaring sound to them. I think yeah. the Fitzgerald is better. But anyway, here's the audio trailer for Strange Frequencies. This is Bill Van Vagel from Phantom Galaxy Podcast here inviting you all to have your senses challenged and your mind engaged. In a new podcast, Strange Frequencies, we discuss thought-provoking songs and mind-bending movies. That's Strange Frequencies, a Phantom Galaxy podcast, where the needle drops and the story begins. gonna be great it's coming out towards the the latter part of april uh it'll be probably it'll be before the next episode of the illustrated fan uh and yeah it's gonna be good and um we're already discussing ideas for the next one so but that, let's get on with what we have for tonight so tonight we're just gonna like we mentioned uh kind of throw back for some capsule reviews of things that we've been watching and a kind of a you know general feel before we talk capsule reviews though i do want to i'm gonna do a review of candy because Bill sent me some candy. And I, I will also kind of preview as we get the Facebook up and running and as we get the, um, the website up and running, we are going to start to do some giveaways. Uh, so we've, I've kind of over the past year been amassing uh, 
books, comic books, DVDs, things like that. I always had a kind of stash back when this podcast first started to give things away. So I've been getting uh, gaining momentum with that. And Bill helped the effort by sending a big box of some really cool variety of DVDs. A lot of stuff I hadn't even seen in years. And also be this will be great for giving away. And some new, some new stuff too. And with that, he peppered, he was kind enough to pepper in all kinds of Canadian candies, which I got to say, Bill, there was not a single one that I didn't like. <laughs> Uh, we, I, I put one aside because my good buddy Chris, uh, who used to do the podcast with me, I was sending, I sent him a picture because he's always into like, you know, kind of rare candies and or, or you know things that you can't get everywhere. And he said uh, the ice wine chocolate, <laughs> the one that says Turkey Hill. Like I would love to try that. And I said, okay, I'll put that one aside. He comes over regular enough. Probably next week he'll come over and try it. But other than that, we tried them all. And we, we it corresponded perfectly with the new television coming, so the kids were excited, and so we we put all the candy out in front of the new TV, and they they got to open it up. And it's funny how how uh, how little candy actually goes once you have four people sharing it, and two of those are two of those are children who are chocolate hungry. So I think I think we all I think Jen and I each got a small a small one fourth of every candy bar. That but those of you that have ever had it, my favorite chocolate bar up here is Coffee Crisp. And most Americans probably don't know Coffee Crisp. And it's a light wafer type chocolate bar. It's not a heavy one. I'm not a sweets guy. Uh, I would rather have an extra chicken wing than a piece of cake. No problem. I'm kind of the same but, way, Bill, honestly, most of the time. Yeah. yeah. But, but Coffee Crisp is light and it does have coffee in it. So one, it's tasty. And two, if you get low on energy, this is the one to have. Yeah, and it's definitely wafer thin, like Bill said. That was the one I was like at a question mark on my head because I love coffee, but I also uh, I'm also like not down here anyway. A lot of the wafer candies, um, I'm usually like, like we have Kit Kats and they're they're kind of good, but like there's a lot of I'm thinking of I think Little Debbie makes something called like a Nutty Bar or something, and it's wafers with like peanut butter, and I ugh, it's not really great for me, but. This was awesome because it was the wafers were sort of melded all together, you know, and you're right. It's very light and it's also not extraordinarily sweet, which we really appreciated. It's almost like you condensed a, a really delicious like uh, coffee infused cake into this little bar. And it's not it's it's kind of it's subtle on the sweetness, but not subtle on the coffee flavor. The coffee flavor is actually pretty strong, which is. It's kind of hard to get a strong coffee flavor in candy most of the time without it being like yeah. gross and syrupy. And I, I did send him a couple uh, gummies and not, no, not the funny gummies. The, the <laughs> no, no, legit no, no, gummies. I hope not because I shared it with my kids. Uh, well, the, the, <laughs> one was, the one was called wine gummies and my son picked up and said, can't have these. And they flipped it over and he got all excited when it said does not contain wine <laughs> on the top of it. And yeah. we liked, we liked those uh, quite a bit. They were, they were the chewier ones. And then you also sent me the Swedish berries, which, you know, for us, our, our frame of reference was Swedish fish. But the problem with the Swedish fish, at least when we get them down here, and it might be because we're buying the bags out of the Ikea bin, is they tend to be, I don't know if it, that's a, what a stale Swedish fish tastes like, but they're always really chewy on the outside. And then they're soft in the inside. And the Swedish berries were soft all the way through. They were like, the kids thought they were way better than Swedish fish. And for those Canadians out there, I also sent them a Wunderbar, a Wunderbar. And that was, my that, that's my wife's favorite. Me. She loves yeah. the Wunderbar. My son said, he goes, Wunderbar. He goes, it makes me think of Valkyries. 
like, what a strange thing to say. But I really liked that because it, they didn't as much because it reminded me of we have down here as a kid growing up, they had like peanut butter logs, which were kind of like a cookie with that peanut butter in the middle. This And this had caramel in it. And there's no cookie involved, but it felt like a mix between that and a Twix. And so, uh, like a yeah. peanut butter cup and a Twix, and it was delicious. My kids, I think they liked them, uh, Mister Big, the best. Oh, Mister Big! The, the the tagline in the commercials in the eighties were, "When you're this big, they call you Mister." <laughs> and it's and it's like the perfect kid candy bar because it seems. Correct me if I'm wrong, Bill. And I mean yeah. no disrespect. It seems like it's just a hunk of crap. Like all this yeah, different does. stuff just flung together. It's like the rocky road of like a candy bar. Like I'm trying to think of like yeah. a. It's, it's a, got a bit of wafer, a bit of peanut, yeah, a bit of chocolate, a bit of vanilla flavor, marshmallow. In there. Yeah, because we also have a chocolate bar up here called O Henry, and it's the same kind of thing. We have O Henry. That's kind of like the O Henry's down here are kind of like honey. I think honey. Uh, yeah, a kind of a, a, a nougaty thing in the middle. Yes, yeah, it's yeah, kind of a yeah. whatever goes. But this know, one's, but the Mister Big are much later. They are. That that was the problem, I think, because my kids were like, "Where's the rest of it?" <laughs> it's like you ate it. It's gone. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> and and you still have to have the caramel bar. We ate the caramels last. Oh, did night, you? They were okay. they were consumed pretty quickly because they were just you know it really is just a chocolate with the caramel, but so good like. It, they, the, the, it's like built in your mouth, literally. The big, the big marketing thing with them here now, and it has been for the last twenty years, is how did the they have these cartoony people, and they say, how did they get the caramel in the caramel bar? What's the secret? Well, if you've seen the end of Don't Breathe, and you already know. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. What people don't realize is they, they lay the chocolate, and then they dab it in, and then they cover it, right? Yeah. It's well, a, and it's everything is so, yeah, it's really good. But the, the difference is when most of the things we have down here are like that, like chocolate and the caramel in it are really good. In fact, I had... I had given everybody their little allotment of two squares, and then I felt a tugging in my hand, and my daughter was slowly peeling away one of my two squares, <laughs> trying to do so without <laughs> realizing it. So she got it. She got it away from me. Of course, I let her have it. I was just like, "Here." Yeah, and um, but yeah, they were very good. And I was like, "Yeah, we need about six more of these." But my wife and I, I, I think my I don't know if my kids were as pleased with them. I think I think my daughter liked the coffee crisp, but my, my wife and I agreed that we could buy a case of coffee crisp and that would be perfectly fine. And, so everybody uh, please email Nathan Bartlebaugh <laughs> at gmail.com with your favorite candy. Well, we I've, I've been talking to the guys who've been doing the X Files podcast with Dave Waugh as one of them, and uh, we were we were think, thinking we really need like a candy sort of um, uh, like transfer program where we send some candy up to Canada and we get candy back. I need to send candy up to Canada way. Have you ever had I've, Chuckles, I, Bill? No. I've had Chuckles. Baby Ruth. I've had Baby Ruth. Yeah. Chuckles are like, I like old people candy is what I've come to discover. I was telling Tommy Wood, kind of like old people candy, like um, like the old style black, and, uh, like black licorice twists and things like that, or red vines. My children... Are certain yeah. they taste like wax, and they really do. Uh, they're now, the other, the other candy that I've I've watched these videos of American Strike Canadian candies, etc. And we have a candy that's similar to an M M&M, and M, but thinner with a harder coat of uh, exterior with chocolate on the inside, called Smarties. And they're delicious. But your guys' Smarties are more like the um, they're just the, sugar. They're like yeah, a just sugar in circular form. And in Canada, those are called rockets. 
Oh, see, and that's what's interesting. There's like, yeah, and even regionally around here, there's some things like if you're in Baltimore, something called a snowball is different than what a snowball is in like New England, you know, things like that. So, so, so I think I, and I've also done something similar with Greg and Pearl Morgan. I've sent them Canadian products as well. So I think for everyone who's now bored out of their mind of us talking about candy, Please, when we get the Facebook page up, show a picture. We'll of have to do. I think we'll see people who wants a candy episode. I think people will. We did a kind of partial candy episode when we had Greg on at How, Halloween. Halloween, Greg yeah. But um, uh, but, yeah. I, but but Pearl Morgan, God bless, wonderful woman, has the biggest sweet tooth I know of, and she can't. She, the first picture she sent me was of when she opened up the Swedish berries. <laughs> <laughs> Those did not last any time at all. They were gone in like the afternoon when I opened the bag up, like. They were, they were, they were gone. And the only thing left now is honestly that, uh, that dark chocolate ice wine bar thing that I've tried to secure somewhere safe. <laughs> so no one can that, get at. That, that, that honestly down here, I picked up at the Dollar Tree. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say, yeah. So I will put it out there. Anyone let us know if you think you'd like to hear it up. So maybe not just candy, but snacks in general and even movie yeah. snacks. I think that'd be fun because. Yeah. Uh, Dave Dave Wass sent me a picture of ketchup potato chips. So ketchup uh, chips, and the other one is, is all dressed chips. We have something called all dressed, and all dressed chips are salt and vinegar, barbecue, uh, sour cream and onion, and one of the others ketchup chips, all mixed in together. Lord. They throw the powder together, and then you get what's that? My wife loves them. I'm not a big fan right. because wow. I don't like salt and vinegar. I find salt and vinegar a little bitter. That's a but, lot all together. My, my family likes the, the salt vinegar ones. Well, we have some down here on it. You probably, like, in particularly Baltimore, we have the Old Bay chip, where you take that Old Bay seafood. Oh, the Old Bay. Oh, the, oh, the, flavor, oh, the, the, the seafood flavoring. Have you ever had an Old Bay chip? I've never, you know what, they 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 do sell Old Bay up here, but I've never actually bought I'll it. Have to, I'll have to send you a bag of Old Bay chips then, Bill. We'll have to. That, that, uh, and then I'll send you a bag of poutine chips. Oh my gosh, poutine. <laughs> We'd have a poutine episode. Oh man, there's a place down. Okay, I can't go on. We have a place called the Clark Burger that is Canadian theme, and it sits next to the old school movie theater that I've mentioned a bazillion times on this podcast, the Senator. Uh, we're waiting for it to open back up, but the Clark Burger has some awesome poutine. Anyway, Bill, why don't you tell me about the first thing you want to review tonight that doesn't involve food because I'm like super hungry now. <laughs> Everybody that has now fast forwarded twenty minutes of talk, yes, or they paused and they went to get their own snacks. Went to get their own snacks, yeah. And honestly, show a picture of yourself watching your favorite movie with your favorite snack. That would make a great montage on our Facebook page. The first movie I'm going to get to is one that I hadn't seen yet. That's been out for I'm going to say about a month. That a lot of people had talked about, and that's the new Wrong Turn, 2021 version. Now. I was a little reticent starting to watch this. Some people had said the movie sucks. I've heard some people say it's a good movie, but it shouldn't be called Wrong Turn. I've heard other people say it's just fine as is. So I never let other people's preconceived notions get in the way of me watching a movie. So I went right into it. For those of you who don't know, according to IMDb, the synopsis is, friends hiking the Appalachian Trail are confronted by The Foundation a community of people who have lived in the mountains for hundreds of years. I'm going to say right now, without getting into it, I really dug this film. I thought it was a good film. You can argue whether it should be called Wrong Turn. I am good with it being called Wrong Turn. 
because as we'll get into the story, if you knew nothing about the previous films and you watched it with that title, you can completely see why they called it that film. The main star in this that you would probably know, for those of us who are over the age of 45 or so, is Matthew Modine. And Matthew Modine plays a dad whose daughter has gone missing. She went on a camping trip, a hiking trip with her four or five buddies, couple girlfriends, couple boyfriends, and they've gone missing. And she hasn't contacted him in, I think it is by this point, six weeks. And he was used to her contacting her or contacting him every couple of days. So he's trying to figure out what happened, where she is, and what the heck is going on. And then there's a bit of a time flip back. So we learn about this group of friends. There's six of them. They're going on a trip to Virginia to the Appalachian Trail. And they stop where the hike is going to take place. And they stop at a local bar, local tavern. Guys are playing pool. Uh, People are slinging back beers. Might I say that the friends are all fairly well-educated, doctors and such, and they kind of look down on the locals. Who are these beer-swinging, rednecky, you know, Appalachian, live-in-the-mountain kind of people? What do they know, okay? So there's a confrontation at the bar between some older gentlemen. When I say older, I'm saying like mid-50s to late-60s, and them. And kind of like, they get at each other. What are you saying about it? What are you saying about it? And they kind of say, good luck on your trip. And when they book the hotel, the lady at the hotel tries her best to say, stick on the trail, come here, come back, don't veer too far off. But of course, early 20-somethings being early 20-somethings, not everybody, I'm not trying to stereotype, but these particular ones throw caution to the wind, go off the trail, and hence they've taken a wrong turn. Let's just say there are a lot of traps in the woods. Let's just say that people die along the way. I'm not giving a lot away. You have to assume something of that happens. It becomes a survival film. It becomes a, a almost a character study of a group of people within a society that have chosen to stay their own part. The leader is actor Bill Sage. And if you look up Bill Sage, he's been in a whole whack load of films. Everything from low budget. Fans of this podcast will remember the film Accelerator that we did, I don't know, six, seven months ago. He was in that, but then he goes into a higher budgeted film. If the fans remember that movie, they're better than me. (laughs) They might have blocked it out. The other... um, I was going to say, the other main actress that you might know is the main girl that is the daughter of Matthew Modine, which is Charlotte Vega, who's been in quite a bit too. Uh, There's uh, quite a few other, I wouldn't say lesser actors. I would just say actors that haven't had as good a curriculum vitae as uh, Sage or Vega or Modine. And Modine basically tracks down where they are. And it's a father's search for his daughter and the truth of what's going on in town I will say there's quite a lot of twists along the way. It's not necessarily a straightforward. There's some time shifts that go back and forth. Uh, Not so much time shifts, but flashbacks. And eventually the time catches up with it. Um, I'll say it's spooky. It's uncomfortable. The dark setting of the woods really plays it up well. There's a good 
head-crushing scene, is all I'm going to say, involving a log rolling down a hill. There's a really fun almost ending. You got to stick around. This is one of those films you got to stick around right till the last credit. Yeah. Because there's a there's about three different times in the last 20 minutes you think the film is done and it isn't quite. And then it isn't quite and then it finally is. Stick with it. I thought the acting, I mean the acting is the acting. This kind of film you're not going to get even Kathy Bates and Misery quality acting, but it isn't bad. Matthew Modine, I think, does a more than fair job in this. And Charlotte Vega is pretty good. I will say my favorite character was played by uh, Damien Maffei. Damien Maffei is an industry veteran who's been in a lot of different films. He was in The Strangers. He does a really good job as a local who doesn't speak a language that's of our dialect. An interesting character. Bill Sage, the one thing I will say is Bill Sage is such a good actor. Yet, as this leader of the foundation his hair is very well groomed and he's got a really good haircut <laughs> so he's <laughs> obviously been part of the society that everyone else is a part of i think i gave this one about a seven and a half out of ten i really liked it i don't know what your thoughts on this nathan were but i would say definitely recommend this film yeah i'm 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 with you i do i like i saw this a, a, a bit ago Shortly after it first came out, when it became available, um, you know, it, to to get on VOD because it was originally in theaters, and I wasn't quite going back to theaters at that point. But I've got to say that I really enjoyed the movie. I also, like you, Bill, have no problem with it being called Wrong Turn because the Wrong Turn series already had about six entries, all in that same very same vein. And I'm a person who strongly believes that I don't necessarily want to see the same thing. Uh, in an outing every time. I'm one of those people that would have been perfectly happy if Halloween 3 had started a trend where we didn't necessarily ever see Michael Myers again. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm, of, I, I, I'm of the belief, you know, when they redid the, the Child's Play, I was more than happy with it being called Child's Play. Yeah, I just don't really have a problem because I, I'm not a person who needs that same exact comfort food. I'm not, I don't want to see the exact same movie I saw before. Uh, Wrong Turn kind of ran out of steam for me shortly after uh, the first movie. I just recently went back and saw the second one uh, on the on the recommendation of a friend, but I hadn't seen really anything but the first movie. I want to say something else. I really enjoy the first movie as a kind of fun, uh, It it's probably unfair to really call it like a creature feature but that's the way it's played you know stan winston does the effects on these sort of these um like hill folk that kind of come out of the woodwork in that movie and but it's a very basic kind of survival horror scenario you know very much played like a creature flick or a slasher flick and while i like it and i have a lot of fun with that movie i personally don't necessarily view it as a like stone cold classic you know what i mean a, a movie that has this great pedigree that if you call something else wrong turn, it somehow devalues what that movie was. And I will say this, I think this is a better movie than the original wrong turn. I think it has better acting. I think it has better directing. I think the story is ultimately more interesting where the story goes. There are more twists. I was more engaged with it. I think Matthew Modine's performance does elevate it a little bit and not just his performance, but the way he's integrated into the story, it gives there's something else to be happening, uh, as the tale focuses on the younger people, because that is where you have generally the, the weaker acting. And then this secondary group of people that are in the, that, that, that they come across, those people are more interesting. They have more going on 
than the sort of basic uh, mutants that were in Wrong Turn. You know, those characters were just identified by thing. You know, they were like Sawtooth, Three Finger, and One Eye. And once you've said their names, you know everything about them essentially, and that they that they want to kill you. So I don't know what you thought in comparison, Bill, but I liked the direction this movie went in. I know people saying, yeah, it could have been called something else. Surely could have. But if you're going to get some momentum behind it by calling it wrong turn, I don't think this is blocking anything. I think we, we I think we pretty well exhausted the killer hillbilly routine in the other I, films. I'm one of those people. I watched all, what is there, six, seven, five, however many there were. Yeah, I watched right. them all. Uh, I remember one of the last ones that involved the winter time and I, I've seen, I've seen them all. And, you know, to an extent, each one was fun on its own. Uh, number one was the best and they kind of, you know, went down a bit each time, but they each had a uniqueness and a fun, you know, easygoing manner to them. But this one, a couple of things I wrote down, I forgot to mention. This one has some good gore. For those of you that like gore, like I wouldn't say over the top Peter Jackson gore, but it does have some decent kills. Uh, it becomes a cat and mouse survival film. Yeah. There there are some character turns in loyalty that you might not see coming. And all I'm going to say is the end is, I've never quite heard the song, This Land is Our Land, sung quite that hauntingly. Yeah, and it, I think it is, to the extent of which it succeeds or doesn't exceed, it is trying to actually say something too. I think that's the difference. The original Wrong Turn was straight up supposed to be a fun popcorn munching like schlocky horror film, you know, uh, and yep. you were supposed to kind of get in there and enjoy it for what it was. And then you're back out and had almost a drive in movie feel to it. This one's got a little bit more going on and I really enjoyed it for that. And I, I think if every if, if we're going to have a wrong turn series, I think that you just take the, the, the title wrong turn would have worked perfectly for this movie had there never been a wrong turn before it. And that's why I think the title works. And I say, if you want to make another wrong turn movie, just take the title and come up with whatever theme, you know, um, there are characters in this movie that think that wrong turn applies to where the country's gone. Wrong turn applies to where these kids end up. Wrong turn can apply to where some of these individual people go in their lives. So I think just next wrong turn, let's not make it about, this movie or about mutant hillbillies? Let's do something completely different. I was going to say, I'm, ve I'm very much looking forward to seeing if it becomes a series. Yeah. I just don't need to see another one of these. I don't, I'm, there were no unanswered questions or no burning unanswered questions for me from this movie. The wrong turn. I would give it like you, Bill. I, I gave it a seven, I think, but I could go as high as a 7.5. I think it's a strong movie. It's a lot of fun. Uh, you could watch both of them back to back, the original and this one. But again, they're very dis different films. They just share the same title and uh, kind of the same intention where we're making, we want to make an honest to goodness horror film. That and it's set in the forest. And that's about where the, the comparisons end. The first movie I want to talk about, and I've got movies that are pretty much on the more on the newer side of things because the ones I just caught this weekend. And uh, that'll be fun to kind of uh, give us some reviews of stuff that's kind of brand new and just out there. The first movie I want to review is called The Power. And it's a film. It's Karina Faith is the director. It's her directing debut. And uh, Rose Williams is a star. It came out on Shutter. It just came out on Shutter, and it takes a very interesting element of of a history apparently that I wasn't really all that aware of, and kind of spins a whole 
a film around it, a film that kind of is based on claustrophobia to some extent and being trapped in a dark place alone, which lots of times can work out really well for horror films. Uh, Halloween, uh, House of the Devil, you know, things like that, uh, that kind of setting. So in the 70s, 1973, there's this labor crisis that had, you know, the the miners striking to upend the coal industry and things like that. And then in Britain, you have this bit where they're trying to conserve the energy that they're still generating. So they're like, oh, let's do cuts to the electricity. So what we'll do is certain places and certain facilities are going to have dark hours where everything is kind of cut down. So between New Year's Eve 1973 and then the March of 1974, in Britain, they were periodically shutting off the power in like really the time that for most people, it wouldn't really matter too much, which would be the middle of the night, right? So they set that story, this movie, The Power, in that kind of setting, this idea that there's some point when these facilities are just cutting off all their power. So you're in the complete pitch black. And then where would be the scariest place for you if you were uh, an employee who had to be employed somewhere while the power was cut off? So guess what? We end up with a hospital. So we have a, a nurse who's played by Rose Williams. Uh, she's Val. She really dislikes these power cuts because she has a kind of psychological fear of the dark that goes beyond just a sort of impulsive fear of the dark. It's not just a, a mechanism. She's working at the London Royal Infirmary. And when she starts, everything's great for the most part. And she grew up in a Catholic orphanage. So there's a lot of sort of uh, fervor and rules and, and, and discipline. So she's in there and she's sort of been almost uh, pinpointed right from the, the get-go by the matron who's played by Devine Henry, who acts as if she were a nun in one of those orphanages that Val grew up in. So she's kind of kind of put in her place right off and she's kind of made to feel like, okay, you don't really have a lot of choices here. And then what happens is while she's trying to kind of fit in and she's, she's fending off advances from the men and she's dealing with the kind of sternness of the women and she ends up having to stay overnight in a double shift along with a, a small group of patients and then the generators they have that are running the only energy, the energy that they can have, which is only in certain places in the hospital. Otherwise, everything is completely. After that, you've got this setting that works in the same way that the setting of that old Victorian mansion with the two children in it and the innocence works. The Overlook Hotel, you've got her there alone in the dark and weird things start to happen, right? There are voices in the hallways. There are shadowy figures. There are ashes sort of seeping out of places or ash shouldn't be seeping out of, uh, from the walls and things like that. And you have this picture of a potential paranormal scenario, but you're also not sure how much is this related to Val, who's had a lot of her own issues, who brings a lot of baggage, not unlike Miss Givens in The Innocence. And what happens is you get a pretty engrossing. I don't want to spoil too much because I think ambiance and dread are the two things that really work in this movie's favor. And a really good performance, I think, at the heart of this by Rose Williams, who kind of gives this movie that extra bit of oomph that the movie needs. Because it kind of goes in a very supernatural, a very specific kind of paranormal horror that if you've seen the trailer, you'll kind of get a feel for but the power does start to work in, in, in it has elements of The Shining, as elements of The Exorcist, and it also has uh, elements of a movie 
like the innocence where you're never quite sure of what's going on. And I think, is it, is it a gripping classic? Not quite, but I think it, it works all the way through because I, it's very spooky. It's very creepy. Those scenes when you're in your complete dark and sometimes it's just the sputtering of a generator over here, or it's the lamplight, all of that stuff really builds a mounting dread that I really enjoyed. When you get into the more the the the, the typical ghostly or supernatural elements, when we get into some of this potential phenomena, that's it's funny that that's where the movies sometimes they start to work on me less because my imagination is giving giving itself over to the special effects now. But I think this is a really good movie. I think this is a really strong and fun but creepy movie that works. In, a, in an understated way, because you get in there and it it covers ground you've seen before, but it keeps you in its spell long enough that when the movie's over, it doesn't really matter. It was a tense and really enjoyable trip and, and a scary one, too. Movies, to me, really aren't always that scary, but this theme and this actress get you all the way from the beginning to the end. I give it a 7.5. I think it's a if you're a fan of horror films, particularly ones that take place in these locations that play with things like claustrophobia that play with things like fear of the dark this is going to be right up your alley it's called the power it's on shutter right now and uh yeah i would say definitely check it out and then keep an eye on this director because i think she's headed for uh big things it sounds uh, awesome uh, i haven't seen it i honestly hadn't heard of it till half an hour before you before we started recording because i never watched it so i want to get into it sounds like a combination of a paranormal film a bit of lights out, yeah. but it's got mood and atmosphere to it. And so, you know, it has a, a wide swath of people that might be interested in this kind of film. Yeah, that's the thing I want to say. There's more subtlety here. There's more Val Luton than, say, James Wan in this movie. And so if that, if that gives you an idea, there's more of suggestion. There's more, there are scares, but the movie is building in a, tension that you don't even necessarily feel at first and you're right there with the character and so i think but it is also still more of your traditional we're not necessarily talking an art house film here we're talking a honest to goodness scary little horror movie with a little bit of the changeling thrown in there <laughs> yeah not not a bad that's a good comparison too bill you're on the right you're on the right track if people and i would say this just turn it on and watch if you've got shutter or if you don't have shutter and you want to give it a trial just turn it on and watch it because you're go like it's better to see it than turn on the trailer. Ignore the trailer and just turn the movie on. That's the way this one's going to work best. Well, I will definitely be looking it up, and I will definitely be checking it out. Hopefully, it makes my year of the uh, end of the year list. If not, at least I can say I've watched it. So, for my next film, I'm going to go over is one that isn't necessarily a genre film. But, you know, with this podcast, we kind of loosey-goosey with our parameters. But this is one that will appeal to movie fans as a whole, regardless of the type of film you like, if you're over the age of 30. And this movie is a documentary that came out right at the end of last year, and it's called The Last Blockbuster. And uh, I wasn't sure, Nathan, have you seen this film? I did get a chance to see it after you recommended it to me, and... Okay. Man, it was a it was a flashback, wasn't it? A flashback it was, kind it, of tugs at your it, heart a little bit. It was it was a real trip. Uh, yes. I got to tell you. So the premise of a film is it basically goes over the rise and fall of Blockbuster, the movie rental outlet. 
that I think they said at its peak had 7,000 outlets across the world or North America. And every, I forget what they said, every 14 hours, a new one was opening or something like at its peak, probably in the late nineties, it was, you know, one of the top five uh, companies in North America, just in terms of expansion and total revenue. And it kind of goes from the beginning of, you know, the early eighties where it began to right now at this very moment in a small town in Bend, Oregon. The IMDb synopsis says, a documentary on the last remaining blockbuster video located in Bend, Oregon. There is one blockbuster video rental open and still surviving. And so it kind of goes through the rise, how, you know, from the idea of, you know, the, the studios not wanting these stores because people had to buy them. And back then, if anybody remembers, a videotape was 90 bucks to renting them for $2.99 to realizing that after they lost a lawsuit that allowed these stores to be open, that if you can rent them for $2.99, the popularity across the nation increases and more people will get their eyes on the films. So it's now a marketing thing. So it kind of shows how the company rises and its various owners. At one point, Wayne Huizinga was the owner and anybody who's a sports fan knows the name Wayne Huizinga. And it kind of, he gets bought out by someone else, he gets bought out by someone else and then it reaches a peak and it goes through uh, the, it becomes publicly traded. And then as Netflix and things start to come on and the economy kind of goes in the toilet in the early 2000s, it kind of goes down too. But there's also the personal element of this, video store in Bend, Oregon, and also a few other franchisees who have, who bought and created and had their own video stores across the nation and how they began and how they left. Some of them got bought out. They were an independent and they became a blockbuster. Some of them decided to seek out towns where they can build a blockbuster or at least take over a franchise of blockbuster. And this one lady... I'm just going to scroll down to her name. Her name is Sandy Harding in Bend, Oregon, is the one lasting survivor. And now that her store is the last one, she gets interviews from, you know, Good Morning America, Newsweek, New York Times. I mean, you probably got international people coming. And it kind of shows their family dynamic and how it's kind of a family store. It kind of also goes over the economy of what it takes to run a store. But it also hits that nostalgia factor. Just for me personally, I'm in a small town in southern Ontario. And we had a blockbuster down the road for me. Up until the last time I cleaned out my wallet, I still had my blockbuster card. And dare I say, there are a few people out there that if they look in the back of their couch or the back of their wallet, if it's more than five years old, it might still be in there. Or that junk drawer or your underwear drawer or whatever. It's stuck away somewhere. There is a blockbuster card out there. And I remember when ours closed, I remember going out and buying a couple of DVDs for $4.99, what have you. But everybody, no matter what your local video store was or if it was Blockbuster or whatever it was, you can remember as a teenager getting movies you really shouldn't have gotten or you're, or as an adult hiding one behind another one. If you couldn't find one, you went back to get one. They get into all that there. And it also talks about some of the celebrities who worked at either video stores or at Blockbuster. There's quite a few comments from Kevin Smith. Uh, Brian Posehn is hilarious in this. Uh, Doug Benson from Doug Lug Movies, the uh, podcast, really popular podcast, gets into it. Paul Shear is in this. 
And Jamie Kennedy, the actor is in this uh, horror fans will know Jamie Kennedy, but the funniest one, the other side is, you know, blockbuster wasn't all, you know, roses and smelling nice. They put some of the yeah. independent guys out and people that had worked hard to build up their business. They just knocked them out. And Lloyd Kaufman from Troma, if you don't know Troma, <laughs> you will it, just by looking over their film catalog talks about the only blockbuster, the only blockbusters I get on were the independents. All the others wouldn't even let me in there because blockbuster, as you know, was a family outfit. There was no back room with the doors that flung back and forth where you go to either the horror movies and then the adult ones. They didn't have any of that. And they, and it even got to the point where certain Hollywood studios would start to create movies knowing if they had it within certain parameters, it would get put in the blockbuster. So it wasn't always everybody's favorite, but it's what was there. You had to go and to Hollywood to video to rent Lloyd's movies. <laughs> yeah. You go to Hollywood video, you go it down my way growing up. It was called bandito video. We had video 99. I mean, you could even rent them at seven 11, but if you knew it was Saturday night and it was nine o'clock, your new blockbuster was open and they had 50 copies of whatever the latest you know, Armageddon movie, <laughs> Armageddon or, you know, uh, men in black Two. Right which God knows why you'd want to watch it, but it was there. <laughs> so, and it tells the story of this one, the company's rise and fall. And then this one particular store and merchandise that it gets of Hollywood regalia to try to keep stores in Alaska open. Cause before this one, there were a couple up in Alaska surviving and then they fell apart. And then this one in, Oregon is the last one. So I give it a seven out of 10. I personally don't hold any sentimentality towards Blockbuster. I kind of saw it as a corporate giant, but it was the one that was there. You knew that Saturday night or Thursday night or whenever they had, you can get five movies of older movies for 10 bucks for a week or whatever it was. You knew that it was there. So it's worth watching from a cultural perspective or from somebody who's a movie fan or anybody just wants to remember what it was like to be 13 trying to rent, as I did, Slumber Party Massacre when you knew damn well you shouldn't have gotten. And Bill, I'm a lot like you in the, in the regard. I think I do think this is a it's a it's a good movie. I give it about the same rating. I give it a seven. And I but I think that even the movie itself recognizes that the draw of it is not necessarily a blockbuster. The fond memories that people have associated with blockbuster is that experience, like you said. And for most people, that was probably where they ended up going. For those of us, I mean, we didn't have a blockbuster around for a very long time. So we grew up with places like Village Video. And for a long time, my family and I worked at a place called Dollar Video. And I, I have a whole episode of stories about what went down at Dollar Video. Um, it was a wild ride. And that did have one of those back rooms. And you had to make sure that it didn't have any body still in it when you closed up for the night, which happened a couple of times. And, and heaven, heaven forbid terrifying. you were part of the cleanup. You, heaven forbid you were part of the cleanup crew. Who refused to do that. One of the things I never understood is one guy like, trying to look between the two and decide which one you want. It's like, look, that one does not have a better plot. Just grab one and go, please. Um, <laughs> you can figure out from the titles what you're dealing with. Anyway... The but the, 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 my experiences were more with those sorts of with the smaller mom and pop ones, like you said. And there was a feeling that Blockbuster sort of pushed those out, and then of course gets pushed out itself. But it's really that pie into the VHS days, you know, what that was like, and showing my kids chunks of it. It's like, look, this is almost like a foreign land to them. My kids who are set or who are six and you know nine years old, 
in the episode that we did with uh, Zero Dark and Nerdy that's coming out at the same time as this one, you can hear uh, you know Brian and, and, and us were talking about the the days of the video store and how you know even his daughter who's who's uh, kind of grown now still has a basic memory, but you know they were they've been they were phasing out for a long time. Down here in Baltimore, we had a really cool place open for years, lasted all the way till 2014. It was called Video American, and it was open by guys who really liked the avant-garde and art cinema and repertory cinema. So, yes, they would have the new mainstream releases, but their video store was known as the one place in Baltimore you could go and get the weirdest, wildest, most, like, fringe thing. I don't mean anything really like, you know, I'm not talking about... uh, just crazy stuff but like if there was some kind of artistic film that you really couldn't expect to find anywhere else all lloyd stuff would have been there and lloyd stuff would have looked mainstream compared to some of the other films that they carried you could go in there and you'd get your bertolucci and your you know uh yui bowl would be there too and michael bay you know all together you could find takike takashi miike there yeah and then to be fair you could find miike i believe at it at Blockbuster, if not at Blockbuster, you could definitely find a Hollywood video. I remember Red Tengichi the Killer from one of those places. But this would go even further into art house films that probably didn't even have a major release that they probably ordered out of a catalog somewhere, you know. And so I think it's really in- the, the film is interesting because it does provide a look back at that and reminder that, like you said, Blockbuster was a corporate thing. It wasn't, you know, one of the things I did love about Blockbuster is they would have that those multiple copies and they have that box and every box would look the same. And that you would, uh, a lot of video stores, you just take the cover up and hand it to someone. And here you would grab the actual video. And I remember uh, my wife telling me stories of them finding ways to swap the box of Dr. Doolittle with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And specifically the Eddie Murphy, Dr. Doolittle, uh, my wife's mother rented it for her and her uh, cousins. And what they really took home was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. (laughs) (laughs) Eddie Murphy, they were watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I would argue that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a much better movie for children than the Dr. Doolittle Eddie Murphy (laughs) film. Uh, (laughs) You do with that what you will. But anyway, yeah, I agree. I liked it. I want, I, I, I think there are probably better explorations of the world of VHS. I'd love to see somebody do a small little documentary on, on video places like video American that were really, that were like almost art house hubs. You know, they were places where people who wanted to, to be in the industry and stuff like that would go and work, you know, in, in, in Baltimore, it was a known quantity. I'm sure lots of places had places like that. And I'd be more interested in hearing more about those stories than Blockbuster. But Blockbuster's that image in your head, right? You can go in there and you get the 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 family pack that sold you all the candy with the popcorn and the movie. And uh, you just make sure you returned it because I carried bro- I inadvertently carried Brotherhood or the Wolf around in my car for a week and had a ridiculous bill for it at the end. Where I said, you know what, I'll just pay you and keep the movie. Thanks. So, so what would you give it about a seven? I give it a seven. I think it's a fine documentary. I think it is obviously coasting off the fumes of our own nostalgia, but yeah. it's uh, it, it's mostly good as an artifact, you know, that reminds you that this is hey, this is what's going on. And in some corners, VHS and rental stores, I wouldn't be surprised to see them come back. But they're never going to come back like they were. You know, they're essentially museums. My fear for a long time this year was that movie theaters would become museums. You know. Uh, and I'm hoping that doesn't become the case, obviously, but it's just interesting. You know, it's, it, it's a, 
it's a piece of of the history that I don't necessarily want. Do I want to go back to watching VHS quality films and driving all over the county on on Saturday night to find a movie? No, I really don't. But it was a part. It was an integral part of what my childhood felt like. You know, the, the one part of the movie that made me laugh was one of them. I forget one of the people talking said, "You know," and Blockbuster had a smell. It was a Blockbuster <laughs> smell. I'll like, guarantee you fa- the Blockbuster I- smell was better than the dollar video smell. <laughs> I am. I have no comment. <laughs> mm. All right. So what are you gonna what are you gonna talk about next? Then, it smelled Mr. like Bartleball? stale camel lights and wild turkey is what it smelled like. <laughs> but anyway, um, briefly, I want to cover. We talked about Shutter, and I just wanted to uh, give a very quick kind of small mini review of the new season of Creep Show that is on Shutter right now. Um, I honestly, we as Bill can attest, we get no shutter money currently. I would gladly accept any shutter money, but we are not getting anything to talk about. It just happens that there's some new for people who enjoy horror. There's shutter does put a lot of good content up and they have a lot of Val Luton's movies. I mentioned Luton earlier. A lot of his work is actually on shutter right now. And I recommend, uh, first and foremost, go find the cat people and watch it. And then after the cat people check out the leopard man and body snatchers. I walked with the body snatcher. And I walked with a zombie. But I want to talk about Creepshow. Have you gotten to see any of Creepshow yet, Bill? The TV series? I, I have not because I want to dedicate time just to sit and watch it all. I, I'm not one of these people that can watch one and then two months later. So yeah. I want to be able to sit and watch them in a chunk. So no. And so you're going to spoil them for me, of course. Oh, no, I'm not going to spoil them at all. Uh, so I'm going to talk okay. in a very vague term. But I because we haven't really reviewed it at all on the show. And I... You know, the thing with Creepshow, of course, is first off, it's basically in close to half hour segments, maybe about 40 minutes, but they're broken up segments. So they're not very long to begin with. And of course, this is an anthology. So even if you did watch one and didn't watch another one for a couple of months, there would be no uh, downside to it because they are completely disconnected from one another plot wise. You've got uh, it's it, like the Creepshow film. You basically have the the bookend segments with the creep, which here in this particular version are maybe the weakest thing because the creep looks cool, but they're, they're not really well thought out. They're not the, the movies, at least creep show one and creep show two had actually kind of thought out, uh, wraparound stories here. It's just the creep is here. The comic book opens up and there's a few variations on that. Each episode, again, he does look cool. He's practical effects. That's neat. And then you have, two stories every episode and the first season was uh it was kind of a mixed bag like most anthologies are you get some episodes that were really fun and then a lot of the episodes were more of the moderate or marginal there were none that i really disliked i would say that the first season there weren't a lot of major standouts there was the first episode i think was maybe the best uh it had a bookend two stories one was called uh gray matter based off of a really cool stephen king short story which if you recognize that title you'll You'll uh, know what that one's about. And it had uh, Adrian Barbeau and Tobin Bell in that first episode. And it was a lot of fun. The second episode is the best episode I think they've done of Creepshow so far. It was called The House of the Head. And the very basic concept is this little girl gets a dollhouse and complete with little people. And she looks into the dollhouse and notices that things are starting to change in there. Starting with the fact that a miniature severed head shows up one day on the floor of the dollhouse. And by far the strongest episode, there's a lot of other good episodes. There's uh, there's one, the final episode has an episode uh, based off of a short story called By the Silver Waters of Lake Champlain by Joe Hill, uh, Stephen King's son. And it also is directed by um, 
Tom Savini. So that's kind of cool. And may or may not involve lake monsters. And then you have, uh, you've got one episode that's, uh, it, it's a spin on the monkey's paw and things like that. So there's there's a lot of fun to be had across the show. I think it captures the spirit of the original Creep Show pretty well. Uh, not many of the episodes are as good as that. And the second season has just started. We're two episodes in. And I just wanted to really point out that anyone who's been watching, we've also had two specials. There was an animated special at Halloween where they did two animated features that were more like motion comic than an actual full-blown animation. I chalked that up to being it was developed and produced during the height of the pandemic. And then the there was a Christmas episode that was bonkers nuts about a Alcoholics Anonymous type meeting for people who were were animals. And then, and it also involved an evil Santa. And where that story went was insanity. Then we have this new season. And this first episode, I just want to point people to this one. There's two ones. The first one's called Model Kid. The second one is called Public Television of the Dead. I don't even want to say much about that second piece because you just need to watch it. And horror fans and fans of public television, you talk about nostalgia, people who remember the uh, Sherry and Lamb Chops and Bob Ross and the joy of painting and, you know, Frugal Gourmet and all those sorts of shows that used to air on PBS. If you enjoy that kind of thing, what, what public television was in the 70s and the 80s, and there's a very specific movie that this this episode also dovetails with that director Greg Nicotero has on his resume from back in the day. You'll really enjoy it. Model Kid is actually a sort of reworking of one of the wraparounds from one of the Creepshow films. And uh, I liked them. I enjoyed them both very, very much. And the newest episode has almost more, they feel, the, ep- the two episodes that are there they have more of a Tales from the Crypt flavor to them, I think. I always felt that Creepshow was a mix of the Twilight Zone and EC comics more than just a full, you know, sort of distillation of them. So it's a, it's a fun show. They, they're doing a nice job. They're getting some fun actors to participate. They're getting some fun directors to participate. And uh, Keith David had a very cool little, uh, little role in the last episode. And you see C Thomas Howell, who I've not seen in forever <laughs> had, had a decent role in the first segment. So there's a, there's a name from the past, right? Yeah. Kevin Dillon plays a, plays a real heel in the model kid episode. So check it out. If you get a chance, Bill, I think you'll really enjoy it. And they use a lot of those flourishes from the original creep show films, like the strange uh, extreme lighting, like the reds and the blues and the comic book backgrounds appearing behind someone's head when shock and, and horror are happening. So a lot of Easter eggs for people who are fans of the series. So I really enjoy it. I think the second season is off to a great start and you definitely want to see public television of the dead and what would you rate this is this a you know 10 year old plus 14 year old plus 18 year old plus it's it's a definitely like r rating it's an r rating it has the okay. content now i like but the episodes do vary for example house of the head because i had seen it i actually showed that one to my kids mostly because the violence and implied violence is what's happening inside of this little dollhouse. So there's no excessive gore. Each episode sort of stands on its own, but I would say that overall this is aiming at a, if you had a teen horror fan, they could handle most of this. Um, but I would, I would stray away from like, you know, just like the original creep show, you're probably not going to want to show a very young audience member. Again, it depends. The model kid episode, uh, you know, it gets a little stronger towards the end, but I probably wouldn't have had too many problems showing that one to an, a younger audience. Again, 
uh, it all it all varies, but for mostly it is an R rated. Creepshow does bring the gore at certain points, and it brings it in a really gross way in some of the episodes. So I was going to say with Nick and Taro, I would hope so. Oh yeah, yeah, you do get some good gore, you do get some good gross out stuff, and then and again. You do have that mixed bag where probably not every episode is a masterpiece, but I have fun watching the show and I don't feel like there's a lot of like just pure dud. Alrighty. So from that quality in practical effects, I'm going to turn it to, as everybody knows, when I get bored, what do I go to? Doobie! <laughs> People call it Van Vagel Television on on <laughs> Facebook now. Vagel TV. That's Van Vagel TV. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the Land of the Creeps um, page, it's we have somebody called the Unknown Caller, and he actually has a little song about Van Vagel TV. <laughs> so, so I was honest to God, it was this morning. My daughter had gotten us up at six o'clock which I don't mind. I'm usually up anyways. So I went downstairs, just kind of typed in random words. The beauty with Tubi is you can literally type in any word and some kind of movie will come up. Oh, that, that is so, the truth. <laughs> that, that is the truth. And that's part of the fun. And so I, I was kind of in the mood for a creature feature, but I didn't necessarily want necessarily, you know, a Godzilla or a, uh, King Kong or, you know, the host. I wanted something kind of on the schlocky side. Something in the mold of uh, uh, Mutants from the Deep. And so what did I find? 1979's movie, and I know I'm going to tap, tap around a little bit because Nathan hasn't seen it and he wants to. Bog. B-O-G. Now, this is a lower-budgeted film. The IMDb synopsis is Dynamite fishing in a rural swamp revives a prehistoric gill monster that must have the blood of human females in order to survive. First thing I, I noticed right away is I had never even heard of dynamite fishing, so I actually looked it up. I didn't know there was That's such wild. <laughs> I, I, I come to realize that it's highly illegal, and anybody that does it gets into a lot of crap. And the budget is low. But I'm not talking, it's not necessarily Z-grade, but it is a, maybe half a step above that. It, but it does have some actors that do have some pedigree. Uh, Gloria DeHaven, is, her, she has a whole lot of credits. The biggest thing I know she was in is, was in the soap opera Ryan's Hope. That was a, that was a show I hadn't heard of in ages. Uh, there's a sheriff played by Aldo Ray. And his biggest credential was he was in the Green Berets with John Wayne back yep. in the day. And Marshall Thompson, who his biggest film was It, The Terror from Beyond, from I think 1958. So Right, it was kind of the inspiration for Aliens. Uh, yeah, so it has a lot of people that have been around, but nobody that was, you know, you don't have any Clark Gables or Steve McQueen's among them. And you have Leo Gordon. And Leo Gordon was in, most recently, Maverick. But he was in The Haunted Palace, he was in Attack of the Giant Leeches, and he was in Lure of the Swamp. So I love Attack of the Giant Leeches. It's garbage, oh, but I, I have a oh, soft spot for it. That, that, that just cries out to be roulette. So it does indeed. What this movie is basically is, is not so much an homage, but with a reference to... Uh, 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 what would you? What is it? The the Black Lagoon, the monster from the Black Lagoon, the Gill Man, because it's literally 
a gill monster that's been underneath since prehistoric days with a little bit of an ode to uh, humanoids from the deep and a little bit of the film Slithus. Well, we're, we're really cooking with fire now. <laughs> so here's what happens. It opens with a guy going fishing with dynamite and he investigates where the fish have obviously blown up and caught up to, and he gets pulled into the water off his boat. He gets sucked down and something hairy kind of runs away. So you're like, Oh, Harry. Yeah. You, you kind of think, well, you see something in a forest and it's dark and the budget's low. So I thought mm, maybe there's like a Sasquatch kind of element to this. Uh, there isn't. And there's some really awful seventies mellow music. And, <laughs> The kind so, that you play on the on the phone, like while you're waiting for somebody. Yeah, like it's like it's like take the worst disco mellow music and then amp it up a little bit. That's what you got here. So, and then you get these two couples have gone to the woods to go fishing. The women, they're all wearing, you know, it's seventies because they're wearing tube tops and running through the forest. So you're like, oh boy, this looks like a Price is Right accident just waiting to happen. And so they're going fishing, and the husbands are happy to be there, and they see this boat that's been left there, obviously by the guy that's died. Bottom line is, this creature takes both women that when they get near the water. So they go into town, they report that their wives are gone, and Aldo Ray plays the sheriff investigates with his men and Gloria DeHaven plays the uh, coroner who's trying to figure out what's going on. And there's a big investigation. I really don't want to get too deep into it. They meet, there's a creepy outpost in the forest where Gloria DeHaven has a dual role as an old woman who's kind of a harbinger of doom. And we kind of get the backstory on what's down in the bog and it's been awakened by this dynamite after having been dormant for thousands of years underneath the water. There's also a very awkward romance with an older character who <laughs> is uh, one of the scientists in Gloria de Haven, where out of nowhere they start making out on a couch. And these people are closer to 70 than they are to 40. So the one user review that I see on, on IMDb says... Blood draining monsters, senior citizen romance, and a lot of alcohol. Yeah, <laughs> there's some very awkward romance. Let's just say it's not a 22, 22 year old cheerleader topless. This is well closer to grandma's age. In the soundtrack. There's an interesting little note here. You maybe you could talk about this on, uh, you know, strange frequencies sometimes. The it says soundtracks "Walk with Me," written by Don King and Dave Woodward performed by Pat Hopkins, played during the opening and end credits and during the love scene. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's bizarre. Um, I'm not going to get into my deep notes on this. Did you enjoy it? That's what I need to know. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I took notes for this for the audience, but you don't need to. You just sit back and see the I was going to say, is this appropriate for my kids? But based on what you've told me, I'm just like, no. <laughs> Well, there's no direct nudity or anything. It's just the uncomfortableness of watching old people make out. Yeah, yeah. like a guy who looks like he's got bad toupee hair making out with a woman with curly hair that was, you know, they'd used curlers on. And and it's, it's, but but it's surprising for a movie like this from the late 70s. They talk about DNA 
analysis. Uh, there's a bit of scientific, you know, they look at, you know, micron microscopes uh, and, you know, they're trying to figure things out. So it's from the scientific element, they're oh. trying their best. They're trying their best. And let's just say that there, there's a couple scenes where they go underwater and see it and they try to lure the animal out using the smell of blood. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to leave it. I'm going to leave it like that. Talk about the monster and the way it looks, because you had mentioned, and I thought, okay, I'm sure it doesn't look great, but I just looked at a picture of the monster and oh my gosh, Bill, it's, uh, it's got, it, it, it is very odd looking. It's again, it's the black lagoon on a one fourth budget and the black lagoon was not a high budget in film. It has an eye and it makes it look like like someone wearing a bad Halloween costume of the of the How to Train Your Dragon creature. And, and it's got this giant it's got eyes. This, it, and it's got this oblong nose mouth kind of thing. Why are the eyes so big? <laughs> and, and 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 for a creature that lives in the water, it spent a lot of time in the forest. Like it doesn't look any better, Bill, than the creatures from Attack of the Leeches. Like it looks like. They no. someone got that costume at a fair, and and I recently had uh, just today I had posted in the Land of the Creeps that I was watching this, and uh, Luke Pamond from the band Le Special says I'm working on something right now. This kind of sounds like something I'm writing about. Should I watch this? So here's what I said: If you have the right frame of mind and you know what you're getting into, it's not bad. If you're expecting something of quality, you're going to be sadly disappointed. But if you like that 70s, you know, Boggy Creek feel, yeah. humanoids from the deep feel, Slithis feel, with a little bit of grindhouse bad acting and tube tops and old people making out on a couch in front of a fire, <laughs> go for it. Yeah, I would say, why don't you just not watch this and watch either do the, the, the Sasquatch movie Creature from the Black Lake or from the same year, from 1979, Prophecy. I think we would agree, Bill, that's probably a better movie. Prophecy has better kills. And a better monster. You're not going to see a monster on fire in the forest surrounded by bad lighting. You're just not going to see that anywhere else. You know. Well, I love that someone is trying to sell a copy of this movie uh, on, on Amazon, and they have made a much cooler cover that doesn't look at anything like the movie you just described. <laughs> Yeah, the, yeah. The poster that I put in the Land of the Creeps has like this very buxom woman being being pulled by this creature, and it looks like it's no, 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 no. And we and anybody who's listened to this podcast knows we've been tricked by posters before. Uh, even the posters, the posters in bad taste, but the movie, boy, oh boy. So yes. I actually gave it a five out of ten on wow. the pure cheese enjoyment factor. If you're going from a strict film, it's closer to a two. It sounds like a good background movie, like a good movie to have on yeah. while you're playing a board game or doing something else. And if, 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 if you are a while, if, if you are prone to things that are green, this would be enjoyable. He doesn't look that far off from Kermit the Frog. He looks like what would happen <laughs> if Kermit the Frog turned into the Toxic Avenger. It would be the animal from Bog. 
So, uh, or, or if you're an aficionado of dynamite fishing, this might be your film. Not, not yet. It's maybe it's a documentary for some people. So, not surprisingly, this actually has jumped up on my list because of that review, <laughs> where I do enjoy those bad fifties B yes, movies like yes. Night of the Blood Beast and stuff like this. So this but I would not show. Happy. I would not show this to your six year old, but your ten year old might get a kick out of it. Yeah, I don't think they. I think they would be bored. Perfectly honest, they both watched <laughs> Prophecy with me, so but they don't need to see Senior Citizen Romance. That would frighten them. No, there's also a, a kick-ass Clark Griswold station wagon in it too. I see a little bit of that here, and there's a gif that shows them firing. Like it looks like they're shooting the monster with like hoses or something at one point, and they're standing. Oh, 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 that. Oh. We had a station wagon that looked exactly like that one with that same kind of like. Uh, weird kind of pale green. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pale green versus or sandalwood or something. Yeah, I think they make all that mint green. It's weird. It's weird. Anyway, uh, I kind of look forward to seeing it now. Is there a scene where this monster tries to get its eggs back or something like seals eggs? Yes, I didn't want to give everything away. I gotta give a little bit. I'm asking Bill because I have a very specific memory of that scene from a movie I saw as a child where the creature sneaked in to reclaim its eggs. So it sounds like the same movie, and wow, it looks a lot better in my imagination. These eggs eggs look like you know when you go to the mall or the grocery store. They might not have them anymore. Where for a quarter you put it in. And that egg with the little whatever, yeah, the, the like uh, gumball yeah. machine. Come with the plastic yeah, eggs. They yeah. Here we do them at Easter. They put candy and stuff in them, and the kids yeah. just had some. Well, the what, they, what, what they did is they glued about fifteen of them together and threw them on the bottom of the lake and somebody <laughs> the fish them. <laughs> So perfect. Okay, so this is indeed. I've just solved another one of my childhood movie mysteries. Thank you for that help. Uh, I suspected it might be this movie when I saw the poster, and particularly when I saw this ridiculous monster. I'm definitely gonna have to watch this. All right. If there's anybody so, that I was gonna say, if there's anybody that saw this on its first run, please let us know what the expectation were when you watched this. Yeah, no kidding. Well, I think we're gonna we're about winding down here. I don't want to make this too long, um, and we will be back uh, again in two weeks with another episode of this, just to kind of throw some things out. I'll do one more review, and then Bill, if you have anything else you want to cover, sure. Um, I, I'm gonna try to see for next time. I'm, I'm catching up, trying to catch up on uh, uh, a, a lot of different stuff. I did want to. It was gonna. I'm probably gonna bring some. Uh, uh, get together with some of the people who watch the comic book movies because I did see the Justice League, but I'm not going to bother uh, Bill. I'm, I will not uh, have to talk a four-hour <laughs> comic book review with you right now. In six minutes. Uh, right, in six minutes. So, But I will talk about a brand new comic, or not, excuse me, a brand new superhero movie that just dropped on Netflix this weekend. It's called Thunder Force. I don't know if you saw the trailer for this. Uh, I think that the movie was based around the basic conceit of the poster itself, which has two uh, plus-size actresses standing there in their superhero spandex with the title Thunder Force above them. And it stars Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer, who both deserve a lot better than this movie, unfortunately. Uh, I will read the synopsis. This is a movie that, honestly, it's like a lot of Netflix movies. It starts pleasantly enough. It's a mild diversion that always feels like it's right on the verge of ramping up into something like worthwhile. And you're sitting there and you're like, it's going to happen. This is the next scene. And then suddenly you realize the credits are rolling. <laughs> and you're sitting there and you're like, well, I guess not. So... This is Thunder Force. It's directed by Ben Falcone, who's actually Melissa McCarthy's husband, which makes sense when I looked at 
the only movies he's directed star Melissa McCarthy and are unfortunately ones where they kind of just play off the same shtick of Melissa McCarthy being a kind of overweight slob, you know, uh, I think she has, she has a lot more talent in her than that. Uh, people, uh, sci-fi fans should check out the movie, the nines with Ryan Reynolds. She's in that it's a really, um, underrated movie and she's very good in it playing a lot of different versions of a person she's very good in the movie saint vincent with uh, bill murray i don't know if you've ever seen that one bill yeah she's and excellent think, in that film yeah and she's a great act she can be a great actress and she's she can be a very good comedian too the problem is a lot of these movies that she does that are in the more mainstream i don't find them very funny and they kind of pitch to her to the lowest kind of common denominator uh, they're not they're not finding funny things for her to do. They're a lot of times just playing off of like heavy set jokes and things like that. The difference between I'd say you know Chris Farley level of humor that the, he that they put him through in his movies versus people that hired John Candy for his comedic talents. You know what I'm saying? Like the, I feel that Melissa McCarthy often doesn't get those kinds of roles. Thunder Force is kind of uh, it seems like it's going to be different, but then it isn't. It deals with two kids who. They meet when they're young and they meet in school. Emily, who grows up to be the Octavia Spencer character, she is a young woman who her parents were killed on a train. And when this movie opens up, they deal with this con this concept that genetically something happened where these genetic enhancements just started to spring up in people. But the weird thing was it was only happening in people who also had sociopathic tendencies, which means the only super powered people that existed were villains. So they were called miscreants. And so you have these miscreants in this in the city with no superheroes because that's not how the genetic trait goes. And they wipe out a boss, some some miscreant, and we're never quite sure who, wipes out this uh, train. I'm sorry, not a bus. Wipes out a train full of people. Her family, Emily's family, is on the train. She ends up living with her grandmother. And she grows up with this one intention, which is to find out how to give other people superpowers so they can combat the miscreants pretty standard superhero stuff she meets uh she goes to school and the one friend she meets is kind of this brash you know kind of very direct blunt but also kind-hearted you know again that's basically all they wrote for melissa mccarthy's character uh her friend lydia they grow up together emily is so focused on this goal of i want to be the scientist i want to have my own lab where i can perfect this this equation that will allow me to grant people superpowers and of course mccarthy is more about why aren't you living your life and they they grow apart and when they we flash forward to modern day of course mccarthy is playing that shtick she plays in most of her movies you have a scene where she's sitting there wearing a um the they, they play up they play a lot of music in this movie <laughs> and they have a lot of random stuff too so there's a lot of glenn fry music surprisingly bill that pops up in this film <laughs> interesting yeah it, well it's and it's tended to be kind of like quirky you know uh there's she's wearing a van halen's uh kick-ass t-shirt at one point while she's eating a cereal that's got spoiled milk so she tries to water it down with beer i mean it's the that's that level of profound comedy we're dealing with what happens of course is mccarthy ends up uh, meeting back up with Spencer's character, and she ends up getting accidentally injected with this serum that Spencer has made, granting her super strength. So now Melissa McCarthy can throw buses and do backflips on the top of moving vehicles, all of which looks kind of you know amusing as you're seeing it happen. And uh, Octavia Spencer has the ability to turn invisible. This actual concept sounds like a lot of fun, and the kind of jokes they're headed at first feel like they're going to actually skewer the superhero genre. So I'm thinking this might be like Airplane, because at one point Jason Bateman has a character called the Crab who has literal crab arms, 
and is uh, robs banks or robs convenience stores. And then when he scuttles out of sight, he puts his crab arms up in the air and slides to the side <laughs> out of view. So there's the potential for a lot of comedy, a lot of funny stuff. Bobby Cannavale is in the movie. I like him a lot, but he's often another actor who's misused. It's got a great cast. The jokes just aren't that funny. You feel like you're dealing with the writing of an Adam Sandler film and you keep running up against jokes that just, they just don't land. Uh, there are scenes that are funny, like when they're decked out in their costume and they're in the, you know, they roll up in this snazzy car, but neither McCarthy and uh, Spencer can't find a way to get out of it. But again, it plays a lot to the kind of lowbrow fat jokes and not enough to kind of the inspired humor that you could find with a superhero movie. And there are just weirdo bits that start to be funny, like when Jason Bateman has goes to a seafood restaurant. And so he keeps getting triggered while no one realizes he has crab arms. You know, it just, it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of well-intentioned ideas that doesn't seem like anybody bothered to write it into a, into a competent script. And you can see Spencer and you can see McCarthy and Spencer both getting kind of, to me, looks like they're getting bored with what they have to deal with. The, a movie where those two actresses are superheroes should be a lot better than this one and sadly it's just not doesn't amount to a whole lot it's like a um it's a five it's it's not it's probably not even a five it's more like a 4.5 it just never gets its act together uh it was diverting enough in the moment but when it was over i just thought wow that was a wasted couple of hours and a lot of wasted talent all right so that sounds like an interesting film it sounds like it's got a little bit of hubie's halloween combined with the avengers <laughs> a little bit yeah unfortunately there's it. too much Shubi's halloween and not enough avengers i would say sadly <laughs> you can kind of skip it i don't think anyone's made i want to see the airplane of superhero movies and i just don't think anyone makes movies at that level uh, no one's making the airplane style comedies with the same level of uh wit i think that was used there not to say that there was great wit in those movies but there was a certain there was a certain something that those movies have that the current spat of of these attempted spoofs don't all right so there's no it's not even you know like it's not quite at the level of a naked gun or even a scary movie kind of level no no sorry sadly we're not even talking not another teen movie i'm afraid (laughs) (laughs) well okay so maybe people that are either completists fans of melissa mccarthy or want to see anything superhero might get something out of it. Yeah, or have Netflix and just hit the, hit a button and didn't feel like getting up to find the right <laughs> yep. There you go. Okay, so I, I'll quickly go through just a couple. And this one that I'm going to start with really deserves about a half hour. But those who are fans of this particular musical band know the story or have seen it already. For those of you that haven't, again, this isn't within genre, but it is within the sphere of what, PG covers, and that's 2019's The Dirt, which I know has been out for a year and a half, but I finally got around to seeing it. The Dirt is basically a musical biography of the band Motley Crue, and it goes from their humble beginnings to the peak of their stardom back down to their decline, and then when they kind of reform back together. And no, it is not 100% historically accurate. Yes, there are things they glossed over. Yes, there are things that they changed for the convenience of the film. But it was a fairly entertaining film. I went in, honestly, being a pretty hardcore rock fan with with zero expectations. And I was pleasantly entertained. It was actually a choice of my wife. And she said, you know, she's always looking for something for us to watch together on Netflix or Prime or just whatever. And she put this on. And the opening scene... 
has band member Nikki Six performing oral pleasures on a woman. And my wife looks over at me and goes, oh, Bill, it's going to be one of those films. I'm like, damn right. It's going to be one of those films. All right. But it actually goes through, you know, how the band started and, you know, their climb in the club scene to the heights of their, you know, massive popularity to their drug use, to their drinking, to their partying, to the groupies and everything in between. And then it kind of goes to what their medical problems become and their life drama becomes and kind of towards the end, you know, them kind of reconciling what has become of them and what they want to become. And the acting actually is fairly decent. I know that it's been changed a lot. And anybody that is a real hardcore fan of Motley Crue is going to say they didn't talk about this. Like, I know the film did not talk about Vince Neil's solo career. The film did not talk about Nikki Six and Pam Anderson. But it did go over uh, Nikki Six's uh, near death, or actually he was dead. It did go over Vince Neil getting into a fatal car accident with somebody else in there. Although the facts of the actual event were changed slightly, but it does get, it's a lot deeper than you might expect. And it does get a little emotional at a certain point that I didn't see coming from this kind of film. If you like a movie that you just kind of pop on, you're not necessarily invested in the characters, but you just kind of want to be entertained for an hour and a half to two hours. You could do a lot worse. I give this a solid seven and a half to eight. And if you like 80s hair metal, if you like Motley Crue, if you just like to see a band in excess, I think this is well worth a watch. I, I know that you saw it, Nathan. What were your uh, recollections of this film? Because I know you saw it a while back. Yeah, I did see it a while back. And I think you said it was about a year and a half or so ago. It's whenever it originally came out. And you had mentioned a movie called The Dirt. And I'm sitting here thinking with our sci-fi horror caps on. I'm like, The Dirt? What is that, Bill? <laughs> that sounds really... Uh... And then you mentioned Motley Crue. like, oh, yeah, I remember this movie. And I think the one thing kind of alluded to, but maybe isn't really clear for anyone who hasn't seen it, the movie really is played more... I would say that if you had a tone to the movie it's definitely more comedy would you agree like it's definitely the biography and it, there's the drama and the drug addiction and the debauchery as you mentioned but it also feels like the main gist of the film is tilted towards more comedy to, to like a comedic feel to the film i i wouldn't say it was set out as you know like it's not the three amigos you know it's no, not that no. kind of thing. I, I would say but a it, comedy it, drama though like if you yeah yes it does, it does have its lighthearted side to it. And there is a very hilarious scene involving Ozzy Osbourne outside mm -hmm. of a pool. Yes. Yeah, so I think that we're not talking quite Spinal Tap here, but because of the nature of Motley Crue, we're sometimes not far off either. <laughs> no, it's, it, it, it does. It will make you laugh. It may just make you cry. Yeah. It will make you dance. It will make you sing, especially if you're between the ages of 38 and 50. You'll definitely know. And I yeah, think that. that the other thing, the performances are pretty good. Like Douglas Booth as Nikki Six was good, and um, and even Machine Gun Kelly's Tommy Lee. I thought they did a nice uh, a nice job, like with playing these characters. Daniel Weber as Vince Neil. I, I had no issue, and I think that the, their performances helped helped you get into the movie a bit. And the actor that played the the manager. I thought was really good. Now, th again, they played pretty loosey-goosey with some of the facts and the portrayals, etc. But it gives you a general 
it passes the sniff test. Yeah, I don't think any time you're going to get a movie like this, particularly when a, when a decent number of the members are still alive, you're not going to get something where it's uh, going to be exactly what everyone expects or whatever what exactly happened. But it's like you said, I think they do a nice enough job that you get the idea that probably a decent amount of this happened close to the way it's portrayed. Like if you're a fan of... Led Zeppelin, Guns N' Roses, Skid Row, any of the Poison, like those kind of bands, this is what you had. This is what it, it's a pretty accurate portrayal of a slice of time in America in the mid to late 80s. And as you sort of allude to also, it doesn't really, it doesn't shy away from the debauchery. It This is the, 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 the Motley Crew element here. This is not a pg-13 as you point out no it's uh no, no, it no, no, definitely no. sort of just dives right into all of that I, I was actually pleasantly surprised as how deep it got yeah it, put it doesn't that way. try away and it also doesn't try to be particularly i guess that's what i was trying to emphasize in saying mm-hmm. that i felt this is comedic um you compare this to say the queen docudrama movie that they made um what what a couple years ago and i'm not saying anything about against that movie but you know that movie was was fairly steeped directly in drama here there is a little bit more of a comedic bent to the way they present a little bit if if there's any male listeners to this you know can you watch it with your wife yes if there's any female listeners can you watch this with your husband yes if there's anybody with a teenager about the above the age of 16 can you watch it with them probably this is one of those films that if you have any desire to know what it was like, throw it in. Cause it's, I mean, it's not, it's not completely accurate, but it's not that far off base either. This will clear up my context for what I was saying. You know, people asking about, you know, the, the comedy or whatnot from the director of Jack, all the jackass movies and, and bad grandpa. Yeah, it's got that sensibility to it. And that it, and it is original credit in 1999 is something called Boob. So there you have it. Yeah, yeah. You're definitely going to see a nipple or two in this film. Yeah, well, when I look at the, the, the movie Boob from 99, uh, shows a dude in a beard and a, in a, in a gold-glittering one-piece. So I think it's a different kind of boob they're referencing there. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. The, the only other film I wanted to mention was one that I saw, again, uh, dinking around Tubi. And it was a, a, a Lucio Fulci film from 1990 called Demonia. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and Demonia, I'll give you the IMD DB. A Canadian archaeological team in Sicily accidentally unleashes vengeful ghosts of five demonic nuns who were murdered 500 years earlier. And the ghosts now set out to kill a group of townspeople alike. An interesting film. I don't want to go too deep into it. Uh, like Fulci, a frog with nuns. Well, it, it's got a you know an element of Indiana Jones to it, an element of adventure to it, but it's Fulci not quite at his zombie level. Uh, this is more. Let's put it. Uh, our good friend Dave Doctor Shock Becker said, "Bill, there's a scene involving a ghost who's topless with an air gun or a, um, a gun that you use uh, to kill fish in the water." And you're like, "What?" And and there is. It's a topless ghost. None of that. None of that sense computes with me, but I'm sure it will when I watch the movie. <laughs> it, there, there are scenes, but there is a scene where somebody is torn into two and splits. That 
I think that anybody who's seen Terrifier probably took an homage to that this scene. Uh, it is uh, very much of its time for 1990. It's got that feel of a late 80s film with the hair and stuff. It is an interesting film. If you like Fulci, if you like Italian takes on horror, if you're a completist, if you kind of like a bit of a supernatural, it's got the nun element to it. Like a lot of films get nuns involved. This one has that. I think I gave this about a six out of 10. It's worth a watch. Is it? It's exactly also very a- close to the end of his, um, his filmography really as a director. It's pretty close. It's in the last four. It looks like uh, okay. it was right around the same time as a cat in the brain. And then, he has three others to his credit. One, which is a, a TV movie, Hansel and Gretel, where he says he was uncredited. So I think it was pretty close to the end of his career, really, directing-wise. And the, the, the lead actor was Brett Halsey. And Brett Halsey had a very long career. Yes. Uh, he was in The Godfather Part Three. He was in Return of the Fly. He, you know, he was in some Westerns. He was in TV work. He was in the animated series The X-Men. So, obviously, as a voice, but he was in movies forever. The new Mike Hammer. He was in a couple episodes of Dukes of yes, Hazzard. He was, Fantasy he was in the new Mike oh, Hammer. <laughs> the, the Fall Guy, The Love Boat, General Hospital. So the guy the guy knows how to act. Whether he ever got those prime roles, no. He's, so, he was still working as thing. of 2015. I see he has some, some credits all the way yeah. up there. But, I mean, if you go back, he was in films as early as 1953. Yeah. So at this at this point in his career, you know, you couldn't throw a script at him if something he hadn't seen before. Right, right, and in in ninety, he's got a bunch of them, and so this has this is listed as the same year he did Godfather Part Three and also something called Backstab. So oh, he was also in Kung Fu: The Legend Continues. He was no he. doubt I've seen him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he uh, played the commissioner. That's where I knew him from. The, I my like dad that loved show. that show. Kung Fu: The yeah. Legend Continues. You know, we talked about the on the X Files episodes about a show about some of these shows where you'd have. Um, a couple of these things, Kung Fu, The Legend Continues, and a couple of shows, they didn't last that long, but they had a spot, a niche right there in the 90s, and I enjoyed them. And I like, honestly, I like Kung Fu, The Legend Continues almost as much as I liked the original Kung Fu from the 70s. The other one the other one that was around that time was La Femme de Kida, the TV show. Yes, yes, that, I liked that as well. That was a U.S. And uh, Chris, Christopher, Christopher Plummer was in called Counter-Strike. Yes, <laughs> we need a TV episode, so we'll have to talk some old <laughs> '90s but TV. Yeah. yeah, the only other the only other movie I saw that if you want to look up, I won't get into it is um, a movie from 1977 on Tubi called Scalpel. Scalpel, and it's, <laughs> we'll and leave it's got for the audience to discover, <laughs> and, 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 and it's very much um, an eyes without a face. Kind of twisted 70s style. I'll just leave it at that. It's nice. Although you'd be better off just watching Eyes Without a Face. Um, <laughs> How much better off? No doubt about it. Billy Idol's song came on yesterday, and I got the chance to talk to my kids about Eyes Without a Face. <laughs> explain. explain. <laughs> Didn't go in too much detail. That's, even for a black and white film, uh, that's still a little much for them right now. <laughs> we can have this discussion on strange frequencies. We could, we could and we should. We absolutely we should. should. Yeah. All right. Well, that's about it. Uh, next time we'll be back. And when we're back, uh, oh, I also want to mention uh, there's a, a movie. And let, let me make sure I get the title right. What's the? It was on your top 10 uh, for, I don't think it was for for horror. Was It, it was either Horror Bill or it was our general list. Uh, was it un 
Unhinged. Is that the movie? With Unhinged, yeah. It just yeah. made its way yeah. to Prime. I just want to throw that out there for people uh, because, and I have not seen it yet, Bill, but you had recommended it and it's been on yeah. my list for a bit and it just yeah. hit Prime. So I think that's one to throw out there it, for everyone to catch. It's more it. It's more on the thriller side. The um, Was it Fallen, the one with Michael Douglas? Oh, falling down, falling down, falling, falling down, down. Sorry, okay. falling down. It's very much in that vein. It's it's a thriller, but I liked it because it could theoretically actually happen to you, and that's more scary than any kind of paranormal ghost or slasher to me. Indeed. So next time we come back, I there's a new show that's uh, debuting on uh, HBO actually tonight. It's called The Nevers. I'll have a review of that, and also The Irregulars, which is on Netflix. I've want to watch some of that and also uh them on amazon prime it's a it's intended i think as to be a, a an anthology show that changes its focus every season but it's uh deals with horror and also with racism in america so i'm looking forward to checking that show out uh, that's on amazon prime you might i don't know if you'll get a chance to check any of it out bill before next time and uh yeah who knows what i, I haven't looked too much at the uh, the list of what's coming out, but we have other things coming down the pike. There's a new Mortal Kombat movie on its way this month. So, um, so let's see, and go. let's see, let's see what Prime and Tubi and Netflix and there's a Tubi original we have to see, Bill, a superhero oh, movie yes. that I still oh, haven't got right. a chance to watch yet. Uh, I haven't heard much about it, so we'll see. But well, I, I can't think of the name off the top of my head. I, but um, Lazarus or something, isn't it? I, I forget. I, I know I've camera. seen it, so uh, perhaps a Tubi in the next episode of either VOD Roulette or just random movies or what have you. We'll try to get a hold of that one. Yeah, we'll definitely review it at some point. We do have an episode of VOD Roulette coming up soon. We also have the Kong episode where we got together with Greg Morgan and Dave, Dr. Shockbecker, and talked every Kong movie from the first one to the most recent Godzilla vs. Kong. That'll be coming up next week. And of course, we also have Strange Frequencies and our first VOD roulette in a while, which we did with a crossover with the horror Chronicles guys. So check that out. And otherwise this is the Phantom galaxy signing off. Take care. If you've been enjoying the music here on Phantom galaxy, the opening theme and the closing theme are both brought to you by synth pop artist, Aries beats. He's done a lot of really cool stuff in the world of synth pop, a lot of very interesting genre based retro themes you can find more of his work over at ariesbeats.bandcamp.com. And until next time, we are the Phantom Galaxy. Mm-hmm.